Hello, my name is Michelle O'Brien, and I will be having a conversation with BARMS for the New York City Trans Oral History Project, in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It is May 16th, 2019, and this is being recorded at the Midtown Manhattan offices of the New York Public Library, and I have a cold, so my voice is unusual. Hello, Barbs. Hello, Michelle. <laughs> I think your voice sounds wonderful. Um, but why don't you start off and introduce yourself? Uh, I'm Barbs. Jeez, uh, uh, I, I, I thought there would be like more specific questions i guess this is like psychotherapy where you just start babbling and like finally something kind of comes out okay it is exactly all right Um, (laughs) oh that reminds me i have a next door neighbor who's like a psychiatrist and she's awful and complains about stuff and she was in the anyway i'm supposed to be introducing myself right um so i'm barms uh um they them I am a communist and a construction worker at the moment. That's my occupation. Ask me in a couple years, you never know. Um, Yeah, I'm not good at these sorts of things. I don't really know. I need a dialogue. Unless... um, I'll keep asking you questions. (laughs) There's no, no pressure here. Okay. Yeah, that's, I guess that's my, that's my intro for now. It'll just, yeah, that's, that's it. You were in the elevator on the way up telling me about your day. Do mm-hmm. you want to, do you want to talk about your day a little bit? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, speaking of all the, all the gender feels, today was a little funny. Um, I work in construction, which is obviously dominated by cis bros, uh, and, you know, I, I tend to roll with their, their shit pretty well. And I'm always read as a, as a girl to them. Um, and I don't correct them because they're wildly, wildly homo-transphobic, homo, homophobic, transphobic, etc. Um, and I'm most, I'm just there to learn as much as I can and, you know try to survive it in any case i was working with my current partner because i'm i'm not a full level uh you know journey person yet i'm, I'm only an apprentice so I'm working with my, <laughs> my my partner and you know he's just kind of like going off on the usual stuff and trying to like you know, full of braggadocio and like trying to like tell me, oh, like, yeah, you're good, you're doing well, you're doing great, kid. You know, back in my day, blah blah blah, kind of shit, and uh, you know, kind of taking credit for some things that I had just pointed out that were wrong that needed fixing, even though I'm only an apprentice and you know you get paid what three four times what I do. Um, anyway, I was just kind of like amused by that, and then something. He started talking about how something early in the day had made him, like, you know, think that I was, you know, relaxed enough with guys and knew how to to sort of handle them, as it were. 
and, you know, had a sense of humor. Wasn't one of those, you know, sensitive uptype snowflakes. And, uh, and you know, by the way, uh, <laughs> the scariest thing to a guy is being called a homo. And <laughs> just kind of, like, really, really trying to lay it on thick that, like, you know, I knew none of this. And I was like, oh, sweetie, I know. And then, of course, I told them that next month is Pride. And New York City is going to be filled with all of the world's queers. And, you know, got a little freaked out. But the other thing you pointed out that was funny, too, because it's, it's, you know, it's it made me think a lot about trans stuff, especially coming in to do this interview. He was like, you know, no one, no one cares. You're a girl. You can be gay. You know, no one gives a shit about that. It doesn't bother us. And I said, I know, I know. And that's, and that's the, the real crux and why it was hard for me for a long time to say that I was trans rather than simply non-binary because trans is so heavily associated with trans women and, you're going to be if you're in that position you're just going to be subjected to that kind of violence from men who are so fucking terrified of their inner feminine you know that that gay men or that gay cis cis men or that um trans women um regardless of you know whether they're straight or or not um are just they're just so fucking utterly terrified of of that that they will you know do horrible violent things that and i you know that's a really important aspect of yeah of trans life is whether or yeah um of gender life in general like are you are you the 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 other that's forever sort of outside the realm of the man who can't really like they're not scared of me because they'll never be me they just see me and they assume that you're so outside of my body right you're you're an other um there's no threat of pollution or being you know but you know the, the feminine the feminine man or the or the trans woman or whatever. It's just such an existential terror to them that, you know, they'll lash out very violently. And, of course, you know, cis men, cis head men, and not only them, are can be horribly violent to, to cis women and all sorts of others as well. But there's, some, there's an, a special kind of utter horror that, like, cishet men have of of trans women and of um you know and because i don't face that because i'm not scary i'm not intimidating um and doesn't mean i don't face like my own pains and sorrows and oppressions either but it's it's a it's qualitatively quite different and so i until very recently i've had a hard time using trans to describe myself um yeah. Yeah, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, but it was, just, it was just really funny because this, you know, he was just, they're just so earnest. They're so fucking stupid, but they're so earnest. And they really just don't think I knew know all of this stuff. And it's like they're really letting me in on, like, secrets of men. And I'm like... 
I could write a fucking dissertation on you. I know more about you than you do yourselves. But I'm just going to kind of sit here and smile and be like, uh-huh, yeah, all right, buddy. Yeah, so. Yeah, that was a moment. And another one, <laughs> another one of the, like, higher-ups at some point, like, everyone was kind of joking around and they were saying, well, you know, Barms, you should take me out and I, I want to explore, like, my consciousness. I want to, I feel repressed. I feel like I started talking about Turkish bathhouses and, you know, like, dance clubs and stuff. And so, you know... That was that was a fun lunch break. I, I kind of like to to bring that out in in all of the cishead men and tell them how much they like to flirt with each other all of the time and their repressed sort of erotic desires and stuff. So, um, so that's me. That was most of my day. Um, yeah, yeah. I had kombucha for lunch. It was really good. I had it after lunch too. <sighs> Yeah, uh, okay. What was your childhood like? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, it was actually really good. Uh, I wasn't... I don't have a tragic childhood story. My life didn't get fucked up till like, my teen years. So, uh, it was really... I was an only child. Uh, middle class, suburban, white, you know... Two dogs, two cats, goldfish, big backyard. Um, you know, uh, I was, I was always awkward and kind of weird, but at the same time, like I had friends when I was a kid. Very often, my friends were like held back in school and stuff, where I was like the one who was really good at school. I don't know what that says about my choice in friends or what weird psychodynamics were going on. But, um, anyway, yeah, and I did well in school, and I played the piano, and I did all the organizational things my mom wanted me to do, and I don't know, it was just like a, I was a teacher's pet, I was one of those jackasses, yeah, I was, it was totally fine, I went camping, and yeah, it was totally easy, totally, totally safe, totally kept away from the world, had, yeah, didn't know a thing about it, so. What kind of work did your parents do? Um, well, my dad actually just retired, but he, at the time, um, well, Works for the for the state, the state of Washington at the time. So, um, doing employment security, yeah, and then later worked for other departments of the federal government. So the state of Washington, yeah, in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. Is that where you grew up? Yes, that's where I grew up. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, I lived in I lived in Washington until I was sixteen, and we moved upstate. 
New York. Uh, lived there for a couple of years and then went to college in New York. Uh, so that was really exciting. It was That was the late 90s. New York was still really fun. Sorry for everyone who missed it, but yeah, it was cute. It was cute. So you said things got messed up in your teenage years? Yeah, I was just a just a crazy fucking nutbag. Um, and I mean that in the most loving way. Uh, just had a lot of um, what I now recognize as sort of, you know, mania, a little mania mixed with a lot of depression, um, self-mutilating behavior, um, a lot of like dysphoria and dissociation, but I didn't have any words for those things and had no idea what was going on. Um, I was hospitalized at different points. Um, but I still made it through somehow. Yeah. I don't know. It was a dark, like, three... It was a really dark, like, four years. Three, four years. And then, like, senior year, started to kind of get out of it and decided to go to art school <coughs> and, you know, do that whole thing and... Yeah, I just, you know, like most people that age, I really wanted to fit in and I did not fit in and I couldn't figure out how to do it or what that meant. And I just was missing a lot of school. I would skip class. I would stay, I would get to school and I would lock myself in the bathroom, you know, it was like fucking miserable. My... (laughs) But then I discovered, like, philosophy and all sorts of interesting stuff and art, and I really found a home in that, and it got me through the last, last little bit of it. So. How did you understand that dark period at the time? Um, well, coming out of a Christian background, First, I thought I was possessed by Satan. I really thought I was. (laughs) I literally thought I was because I had no other rational explanation for what was going on with me. And I wasn't getting. It wasn't being like recognized or dealt with in any way by my family. So I just. Yeah, I was like, well, there's no other explanation for the kinds of thoughts and things that I'm having. So, yeah. Guess I belong to Satan. Whoops. <laughs> Recurring theme in my life. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, and then later on, you know, I diagnosed with, like, depression and anxiety. It wasn't until years later that I figured out it was, like, a form of bipolar disorder. But um, so I, I had some idea of, of that, like, a year or two into it. But initially, I I (laughs) thought I was fucking possessed. Um, um, Tried to take it easy with the water bottle. I, that's the other thing that I, it's hard for me. And I, I do this obsessively, like, um, with my hands, I, I tend to like crush everything that's in my hand, whether it's a plastic bottle, they always end up like mangled, just mangled. And that was, I had the nickname of the mangler for a while too. We should give you something soft to crush. Well, I, 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 uh, 
pens. I eat them. I, like, you know, pieces of paper. I can't have a piece of paper and just, like, fold it nicely and put it away for, like, it's so hard for me. It just ends, it's just like a wall. I'm just like, blah, you know. Um, I don't know where that comes from. It's probably just an anxiety thing, but, um, and I don't, yeah. I don't know. I, I just crush the shit out of them, and I'm not even very strong. It's just... It's just a habit. I don't know. So I will. I will try. Yeah, I will try to restrain myself from crushing the bottle. Oh, okay, okay. Crush that one. Yeah, no, that's not gonna happen. Um, I noticed uh, that when you were talking about your uh, day at work, yeah, you you had a lot of analytical insight psychoanalytic insight right. into these your co-workers homophobia and then you just mentioned discovering philosophy as a way out of your depression yeah what's what's the role of like analytical insight philosophy theory it seems like there's a relationship between that and the like horrible misery right like figuring out how to cope with the horrible misery yeah oh world. it's it's essential um, yeah, tell us about that <clears throat> I mean, there's there's some thought that a lot of us queer people, especially uh, trans, non-binary people, um, well, first of all, like, there are a lot of us who are fairly left-wing, who are communists like myself, um, or who just, you know, gravitate a lot towards towards very abstract thought. Um, or philosophical thought or computational thought or whatever it may be. So, um, and there's a lot of sort of autism in our demographic and I've, I've never been diagnosed with autism, but I think I'm like mildly, I think I'm a little on the spectrum. Um, so I think just when you can't, well, I think it's a two part, um, two parts to this um one is that obviously it's just like psychologically you can control things a bit better when you can kind of dissociate clamp out like and develop kind of an abstract thought because you don't have power in the immediate moment right and um you kind of shut off but if you develop this thought it becomes kind of like a it's a tool that you can use even if you're otherwise weak in that situation. And um, <clears throat> and for me, this is the the second part. It's 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 a pretty it's pretty wild, I guess. <laughs> my my thoughts on this, but um, when I'm when I have a lot of anxiety and dis dissociate dissociation and stuff like a, I tend to feel like I can't really f I can't coordinate my body well I don't really feel like I have limbs all of that well or see and I can't even speak now I'm getting a little anxious but um there's something where you just you quite literally like your your whole nervous system kind of collapses on itself and you you're kind of retracting from the world and it's like your arms and your limbs and your tentacles like everything's just kind of like pulling away from life and it's kind of turning it, it can't sort of deal with it so um 
when when you're able to sort of relax and engage with the world, I find that my I'm, you know, I'm much able to be physically coordinated and I'm much able to do physical labor and much more able to use my hands. I was very clumsy as a kid. You know, I was always <laughs> bumping into shit, running, like, just very, very uncoordinated. And, um, but now I can do all this stuff. I can do really fucking dangerous shit. And I have to, one, one thing I will do, like, I'll, I'll kind of, like, pinch my fingers together to kind of get the blood flowing because sometimes it just starts shutting off and I start tuning out and I kind of go into that void a little bit and to get myself out I have to move my body I have to move my arms I have to move my legs my hands especially so I think that's you know speaking of the bottle the crushing the bottle I think a lot of it's just like a sensory thing where I have to like pull myself out and it's it's as it's a physical psychological you know it's a sort of total body um, experience of sort of bringing yourself out into the world and being able to directly engage with it without, yeah, without the mediation of abstract thought as much. And I find that when I go into abstract thought, and I think this, you know, if you look at the way people work in offices or the way people do intellectual labor in libraries or where have you, um, you know, you need sort of quiet, but you're not really moving your Body, you're not moving your limbs, you're not moving your hands, and you sort of retreat into your mind. And this is a very different sort of sensory experience. It's uh, so I don't know. I guess that's kind of a long rant. I don't, <laughs> and I don't know how much sense that makes. But um, yeah, what was I saying? There, there are two parts to it. Yeah. Um, Well, okay. Well, I didn't, I forgot to mention this too. I mean, maybe because it seems too obvious, but um, why why weirdos and freaks of the world might have an affinity for abstract thought, um, quote unquote abstract thought, uh, is because, you know, just if society doesn't make any goddamn sense to you, <laughs> <laughs> on an innate biophysical fucking level like if you're always just like kind of recoiling and like I don't get how people work or why people are treating me this way or what have you like you need to it's not gonna it's not gonna be intuitive it's not gonna be immediate it's not gonna be common sense you're gonna have to develop a science out of it um so yeah I think that's a lot of it yeah that makes sense what was art school like uh art school was was pretty good um mostly i was just really fucking happy to not be in the suburbs and not you know uh it was great to be in new york city and to do things i like to do and be around people who were into a lot of the same shit as me and not having to like explain why I listened to whatever music I listened to or if, you know, wanted to go to a concert or wanted to dress a certain way. And there were a lot of kids who, I mean, certainly plenty who were like me, but then also a lot of kids who came from money, like real money, um, and kids who were just like so much cooler than me. <laughs> And it was like really sort of like 
exciting was like you know people would I don't know they'd been in like punk rock bands since they were like 13 and they had like cool record they like I knew like I remember there was someone who had like the guy from Hole like produced her record when she was like 15 or something I was like what the fuck where am I like I'm just from the dumpy suburbs like where everyone just like you know becomes a cop or like <laughs> you know there's nobody cool there's no like fun you know artsy people so um yeah it was really exciting there was just so many different people from 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 everywhere and feeling validated in my opinions and my aesthetics and my taste was was really good and I mean I was I kind of lost my mind there too and you know I drank way too fucking much uh, I had a few few really bad episodes with that um and I wasn't sure what I was doing at all I was mostly there for like feeling accepted and feeling like I wanted to not necessarily accepted as in like, yeah, I guess accepted is the right word. Not, not like adored or anything like that, but just like, here, I fit in here. This is fine. I can deal with this. Um, I ended up leaving. I ended up doing more academic work, but was, that's where I started off and spent the first couple of years. So, um, yeah, it was great. What were the scenes around New York that you spent time in? What were they like? I mean, I didn't, in the the early period, I didn't spend that much time. I was largely on campus because it's, you know, it's a lot of work. Art school is a lot of work. And I was under 21. I didn't have a fake ID, so I wasn't going out, like, clubbing and stuff. But, um... What school was this? Uh, Pratt. So... What scenes were around? Well... I mean, the village still had a lot more, like, artists living in it. Um, you know, people f from the 60s or beyond um, had a lot more, like, weird queer people still around. More, A lot more punk rock, a lot more people left over from sort of, like, squatting movements. There was still a lot of that, you know around aesthetically whether it was like graffiti and a, a lot of abandoned lots still especially in the farther east village alphabet city um you know and yeah there was just there was a little bit of everything too which was what made me love new york so much especially going from neighborhood to neighborhood they would just change and um that made me just so fucking happy. I was just, I don't know. I always felt like I was going into a different world. And everything was a bit run down, except for, like, Midtown, which you avoided, like, the plague. And, uh, yeah, everything was just kind of dirty and grimy, but sort of not too horribly expensive. And there was always some weird fucking shit happening. And you'd just be like, God, thank God I live in New York City, you know? <laughs> Um, and that stuff still happens, but less and less. And uh, most, so much shit just looks the same everywhere and is the same. And, you know, everything's a giant Panera Bread now. That's what New York City has become. It's goddamn tragic, but, you know. And I'm part of that now, I guess. They help build shit. But, 
So far, not a bit impressed. <laughs> do, do you remember any particular people or events that, from from that era that struck you? Um. um well, um. I don't know. I don't know why this is coming out now. It's not it's not like a public event. I just remember like going to the village with some some friends. I don't remember what we were doing, but we got out of West Fourth Street and there used to be a music store there, Sam Goody, which then became like a staples and then something else. It's not there anymore. Uh and there were like some crust punks out front or something. Like, I don't know if they were lined up for some shit. It feels like there was like a whole bunch of them. They could have just been like hanging out. Um, and I was wearing a zebra print, like velour jacket that I got in somewhere. And this kid just goes, you know, you killed a zebra bitch. <laughs> and it was so fucking funny. And I, and my friend with me just kept, and then for like months afterwards, she would just look at me like, you killed a zebra bitch. And I'd be like, okay, all right. Um, um, oh, you know what did happen to the early period? It was literally, I think, my first month of school. I went to my first protest, I guess, uh, which was, the Giuliani was the mayor at the time was threatening to like cut funding from the Brooklyn Museum of Art because of the the what was it called? Um Sensation? No, what was it called? Anyway, there was a um big exhibit featuring a lot of like young British artists, um, like Chris O'Feely and Chap Chapman brothers and people like that and the Giuliani had threatened funding because of Chris Ophelia's Virgin Mary paintings which use elephant dung in them and that was like sacrilegious and blah 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 so there was like a protest at the museum and that's actually when I met my one of my good friends um you know we ran into each other, we were on the subway, and I ended up convincing her and another friend of ours to go to this protest. Um, so yeah, it was at the Brooklyn Museum, and like, Susan Sarandon was there, it was very, it was very exciting for, for, you know, a teenager, you know. Anyway, so yeah, um, Giuliani, wow, that's been a, a while, um. Also hard to believe that we had one mayor for 12 fucking years. Bloomberg is, that shit was insane. And that's why we have Panera Bread, New York City now. <laughs> Obviously, there are many more factors in that in play, but a good part of the kind of buildings that we see now are there from that period. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I don't have any cool, like, super cool punk rock stories because, again, I was mostly on campus. It was mostly just, like, being around it and seeing it and, like, just just being able to go to neighborhoods and walk around and pass from, like, Puerto Rican neighborhoods into, like, Jewish neighborhoods 
neighborhoods or like blocks into like crust punks and then you know and then bougie people in the west village and i don't know it was just fucking everything and it was all kind of smashed together and that's why i was and no one really gave you too much shit for anything and that was nice yeah just ignored you it was great unless they really liked you because then you could get hollered at and you could be like i fucking love your outfit let's go party together because that was a thing that still happened so yeah and you said you went and did something academic after art school uh yeah i got i got really sick after 9-11 not because of 9-11 but because i got mono um and i got really really sick and ended up leaving school um, and so instead of just dropping out and calling it quits for a while, I decided to just keep the ball rolling because I thought I would never go back to school if I quit. So I just transferred to state school, um, cause didn't want to, my parents wouldn't pay for any more than they already had really. And they couldn't pay for more than, you know, uh, what they had. So I went to state school and I did art history. Um, it was a toss up between comparative literature and art history, but I went with art history. And so I did that and I, I really liked it. I already knew I liked art history. I'd done it in high school. I had like an AP class and did it in at Pratt. So, um, yeah, I did that. Stuck with art history for a long ass time. Got a master's in it eventually. Um, yeah. What do you like about it? Um, you know what I, I like the history and critical aspects of it, um, which carries forth to this day in my sort of, you know, I'm a Marxist. I love history, but then I also like having a really, yeah, to be able to tear things apart. <laughs> so... Those were probably the, the twin aspects I liked the most. And what I what I really liked about art too, aside from the kind of like sublime experiences you can have with it, but what I what I liked about art history in particular was, you know, it, it always felt like I was trying to solve a puzzle or I was trying to decode something. So, you know, looking at a painting or a sculpture, whatever the, the piece was, you know, you're supposed to be trying to figure out what it's about or potentially about. And you know, do you know all the references? Do you know what this is in dialogue with? Do you know, like, so it just kind of felt like a, a fun puzzle and it just felt like something completely useless for the world. Like no one gave a shit about this, but I do. And it's, I'm not, I'm not going to go be an idiot business school bro. Like this is a worthless trade and I love it. So yeah, I guess. Yeah. I think that covers it. Yeah. What was your master's thesis about? Um, I did it on, this is going to give me away because it's on fucking catalog now. <laughs> Um, well, I, I, I basically did it on performance art in the 1950s things that kind of tra transitioned into performance art 
and because I really got interested in sort of ephemeral things and um, decommodifying the art object and things like that. No surprise that soon after I became a communist, but um, when I started it, I was not quite there yet, but I was clearly on my way. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was, I, I, I'm just not gonna say exactly what the topic was, because yeah, for privacy reasons, but yeah. Uh, were you dating or having sex during this, these years? Oh yeah, yeah, no, I did that, um... I, I usually shied away from relationships. They weren't like, I didn't get why people did them. I didn't have one until I was 25. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I usually just kind of, like, fucked around when I felt the urge and, like, that was good enough. Um, I had a couple relationships in my 20s with men um, one was fairly short, the other one was, ended up being quite long and was extremely, extremely abusive and psychotic and, uh, trauma, trauma, traumatizing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I can say some things about it, but I don't want to talk too much about it, um. But as far as, as far as, like, broadly speaking, like, yeah, everything was always very, like, seasonal, it felt like. Like, sometimes I'm in a, I want to have sex season, sometimes I was not. It was never, like, a totally linear kind of regular thing. I don't know. Probably, probably a little hypomanic all the time. You know, hypomania would come out and be like, okay, time to get laid. And then I would just wouldn't get laid for a while. I wouldn't care, really. Just didn't give a shit. So, yeah. How did you become a communist? Well, through <coughs> a person I was with, my abuser, um, they were into a lot of that stuff. And they didn't have a terribly coherent like vision of what that meant. I, I didn't know any better at the time. So a lot, you know, but in hindsight, it can be like, God damn, you were just like throwing a little bit of everything in there. Um, but, you know, that did bring me into reading Marx and Engels and Hart and Negri and, you know, Fanon and, um, yeah, a little bit of, a little bit of everything. Uh, so got me into going to more protests, to Occupy know things like that so um and it was a slow transition you know it took me like yeah it took me like three years to between saying like okay i'm kind of open to some of this stuff to being like okay i'm definitely a marxist now you know <laughs> took took a while um and uh some of it was just a kind of like logic that had to play out in my own head um, the other part was just, you know, the effects of the, the great recession, uh, you know, watching everything kind of accelerate and be like, you know, I always just assumed ca capitalism was here for the rest of my life and probably beyond. So I never thought there was 
much reason to fight it. It was just a thing that was here. I didn't know anything about the history of classroom to speak of. Uh, I didn't like capitalism. I thought it sucked, but figured it was just, you know, here. So might as well adapt to it in some way. Um, so anyway, clearly capitalism, at least the, the kind that I knew or the, the moment of capitalism that I knew was not going to last anymore and uh, any longer. And uh, yeah, it just kind of just kind of kept pushing me to abandon ideas that uh, were taken for granted. Yeah. So. And what does it mean to be a communist for you? Well, for me, it means that you, uh, well, communism is a, is a classless, stateless society. That's the goal. So I would say communism is either that or it's, you know, anything that wants that or pushes in that direction. You know, it's the simplest way of saying it. It's not very poetic, but, you know, I'm not a poet, so, um... Yeah, you know, a destruction of every, everything based on a division of labor, which includes gender and race, those things have to go too. But they don't go and, you know, uh, that isn't to say like all aspects of those things that are associated with those things go, but the primary since the primary condition is erased those things won't exist as they currently do i guess is maybe a better way of saying it um yeah so yeah definitely abolish the fucking family (laughs) that's that's essential you hear that fuck the family <laughs> so, um, what does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, it means it means um, you know, care care does not equal the family. First, first off, like who you actually feel affinity towards or who cares for you that is not family in this in the sense that I'm using I'm using family in the legal sense um yeah I mean it's kind of just a I mean historically obviously it's directly related to property ownership and domestication and gender roles and gender division of labor and all these sorts of things. And all of those have to fucking go. Um, so, uh, it's just a very violent institution and, uh, horrifying. Just the idea that you're trapped with these people who, especially as a child, that you're basically owned by people, um, who have to- near total control over you and can just psychically, physically just do horrific things to you. And, you know, and and you have almost no recourse. That's fucking barbaric. That's fucking horrifying. So, um, yeah, and I just see the way people sometimes act about 
think about their children and it's really they really do think of them as like a kind of property of theirs it's disgusting it horrifies me and i don't think that that's like necessarily like some kind of innate trans historical quality per se maybe it's more of a symptom of our current individualistic you know kind of yeah property-based clan type um you know you mentioned uh, that many trans people that you know have gotten into radical politics mm-hmm. in different kinds of ways. Um, what what do you think the relationship was for you in becoming a communist to your relationship to gender and how your relationship to gender was changing? Um, I mean, initially, not much. Um, but not not too long after sort of a um, self-describing or describing myself as a, as a communist and after like starting to come to terms with um, my specific political tendencies, like trying to figure out, I'm, I'm, I don't really think I'm an anarchist, but I'm kind of an anarchist and I'm kind of a communist. I'm kind of a like, and then finding, you know, reading, reading more and more and more kind of in that refining process and um yeah like kind of at around that time when it was kind of solidifying for me in that sense um you know i met a lot more people mostly online who i now mostly know in person um but i was just around a lot more queer comrades with similar politics and it made it very easy for me to realize that what I had thought I was was not um was not adequate so it kind of started piece by piece is like okay I'm bi okay I'm non-binary so the bi bi came first bi as in not there are two genders no that's not what it means bi and then yeah and then non-binary and it's it's until very recently, I didn't use trans. I use a. I've started to use it a little bit, um, especially because first of all, it's more widely known. Second of all, I was talking to my therapist a bit, and like, I mean, not only do I want like some kind of top surgery, but um, I. I'm also transforming myself all the time. Like I'm like, I, I became a construction worker. My body does things it doesn't do what he didn't do before. My shoulders are completely different. Like I have transformed my body. And I know that isn't necessarily exactly what people are always thinking of. But the point is like there, there is something where I'm trying to very consciously or subconsciously change my body in ways that are more consistent with like, trans transness i guess but um plus i don't know if non-binary will get me covered for job surgery <laughs> maybe i have to identify i don't know um so yeah um so yeah i just i think just you know maybe maybe just kind of like clarifying your politics and i don't know i 
maybe that was just a coincidence at that time, but, um, you know, after spending years around, like, left dudes, either in person or online, um, you know, you run into the limits of a lot of their analysis, <laughs> and suddenly you realize, if you're lucky, that there's, like, this whole other way of viewing things, um, thinking about gender in relation to class and everything else. So... Yeah, like once it just started unrolling, it just kind of like just kind of kept going. It was like, all right, all right, this is good. And I never felt happier. Like I really like, yeah, I just never felt better than when I, after I came out and then after like solidifying my politics so I did not give a fuck. I was just like confident and I was comfortable and I just felt like I could do fucking anything. And um, something I never really fucking had before. Although to some extent I was like a fairly happy kid. I was a fairly stable kid. And I think that's a lot of my gender identity and shit is just like trying to go back to being a kid. <laughs> like playing in the dirt or playing with dolls or whatever the fuck it is playing with makeup um having a fairly like genderless body like that's kind of my ideal and so psychically I think I just want (laughs) to I just want to be like eight years old um so I think that has a lot to do with my gender expression and confidence and everything like that so when, when I don't feel like I have to be a fucking girl, when I can just kind of push that shit away, that concept and that identity, like, I can just, like, Whoa, push it away. Like, I just instantly calm down, and it's, like, suddenly it's not so bad. Like, oh, okay, okay. Um, which makes work hard because I'm just constantly... Blah, you know, it's just... Every, I think you just hear the most fucked up shit like all the time and you just kind of like I don't know I mean I guess one way I survive too speaking of abstract thought is is kind of thinking of myself as like a you know ethnographer or something like I'm studying them because otherwise I don't know how the fuck I'd get through that (laughs) it's rough you know especially if you're art like it's one thing if you're Everything else in your life is going okay. You can go into that environment and just kind of do your shit and, like, roll your eyes at these dumb fucks. But if your life is not going well and you're in a bad spot and then going into that environment, it it fucking rips you away. So, um, yeah, it's not fucking easy. I will say, though, you know, as you go along and you learn more stuff, um, you get fucked with a little less. And I just want to learn my shit and not be fucked with. Just leave me alone. Let me do my work. That's it. And then, you know, I can build the Soviets later or something. That's the goal. Shh. Don't tell my boss. You mentioned starting to connect with um, queer leftists online. Mm-hmm. And then later getting to know them in person. Tell me a little bit about your communities. Uh, after grad school and after becoming a communist? Like, have you been in political organizations? Have you been in art scenes? Have you been in particular sort of social circles that have been important to you? 
Uh, I haven't really been any, I haven't been around art stuff to any extent in, in many years, so, uh, no. Yes, I'm in a political organization, the name of which I'm not going to, maybe I could mention it, I don't know. You know what, fuck it, fuck it. I'm in a group called Red Bloom, uh, that I helped start a few years ago. Uh, with some comrades that I initially met online and through different discussion groups. Um, yeah. And yeah, I've been doing that, trying to, trying to keep it going. Not always easy, but you know. What is Red Bloom like? Um, well, it's, it's a collective. It's not a huge group. Uh, we have different projects that we work on at any time solidarity networks uh, one point we had a queer workers project we have worker inquiries uh we also do a lot of education series that's what we became kind of known for initially i mean known for like you know it's a very small world <laughs> but um so we still do a lot of education events um a lot of us a lot of membership is queer. Um, a lot of trans people are members. Um, yeah. I mean, that's part of the reason why we exist was to, you know, because <laughs> we couldn't work with a lot of the dudes. It just wasn't hap- going to happen. Um, so, yeah. So that was a lot of the original uh, impetus for it. Um Political or politically, uh, we don't have like a specific tendency that we're part of. I mean, we describe we're self described communists, um, but some people lean more towards. Uh, I mean, well, first of all, we have to talk. I don't know. I don't know how much I'm going to say about this, but um, yeah, I mean, every it's it's basically everything to the left of Stalinism um, at this point. Some of us, like myself, are more drawn to like left communist tradition. Also, black radical tradition is is big for a lot of us. Um, but some people are a little closer to kind of Trotskyism or post Trotskyism. Um, so there is some ideological ver- variation, but not so much that we can't get work done um, and don't have a share base and basic points of unity on you know, the nation, class, gender, race, things like that. So, Red Bloom is the only um, majority queer communist group that I that I know of, and the only communist group that has like more than a couple of trans people in it. Could you uh, and you mentioned this around? That's part of why you all started it. Could you say a little bit more about sort of what it? what it's been like to be in this sort of queer trans communist organization and scene and the meaning and dynamics of that. It's great. I mean, on the one hand, it's great. On the other hand, it sucks just because, you know, the fact that we have to sort of do these sorts of things because we can't work with dudes, you know, um, (laughs) our existence is because we're already excluded. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it works pretty well. Uh, 
knock on wood or whatever that's for Mike or whatever this is, but, you know, we haven't had any, you know, too many big, you know, organizational difficulties so far. Um, not that, <coughs> not that, you know, trans people or queer people can't have problematic behavior or be shitty people, but we haven't had any, like, serious, like, abuse or, um, just kind of, like, predatory behavior that you find a lot on the left, especially, but not exclusively, with cishet dudes. Um, so, I think there's, without <laughs> coming across as, like, I don't know, like, feeding a cliche, but there's also more attention to, I don't know, I just think there's more, like, emotional support um historically i mean right now like we've got more members and it's we're trying to figure out how how to grow right but like but yeah historically it's it's had a good mix of people you could really like talk to about a lot of things and mutual aid that we could give each other um and just like basic respect that we could give each other um yeah and then some of us some some people are also have different disabilities so we have, we've, you know, been able to talk about those things and try to, like, be, be accommodating um, in different ways. So, I mean, just shit that most of the left doesn't fucking take seriously <laughs> or, um, you know, marginalize and marginalizes or tokenizes. Like, we've tried to, to some extent, center in a lot of our work. Um not because gender is the end-all be-all of class, but, you know, it is certainly a huge part of how class is structured. And if you ignore it or think, think it's not part of class, you're fucking wrong. And you're really wrong. And you need to read Marx better. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. And so, and so, you know, I don't know. It's It's been, it's been, uh, it's been good. I mean, we still exist, you know, almost four years in. So... You know, hopefully we can grow right and, you know, yeah, figure that out because, I don't know, didn't, <laughs> you know, most things, like, blow up within, like, a year or two. People move on, move away, whatever, so hopefully hopefully we'll keep it going and, I don't know, keep, keep that struggle moving. For people that um, don't know that landscape of the left and... 2019 okay. um could you tell us a little bit about the dynamics around gender and abuse that have played out in socialist Ooh, boy. groups in the last few years oh boy it's been a mess um yeah uh i mean dynamics that have gone on for time immemorial like are finally being brought out into the light before me too uh i kind of feel like left like leftists or especially like communists or socialists like kind of inaugurated a lot of this stuff as far as yeah very you know very openly confronting um violence in their organizations especially gender especially gender violence against women and queer people women and cishet women and queer people um yeah so yeah, it just, again, like, all of this stuff has always gone on, but for, for whatever reason, in the last few years, you've seen a lot of organizations blow up, collapse, and um, because, you know, usually because, like, there's there's someone who's committed rape, 
um, or some form of, form of domestic violence, like very serious domestic violence in the group, who or repeated sexual type sexual assaults, um, who have been you know covered up or just allowed to continue on because because well all sorts of reasons. Person who is victimized doesn't want to talk about it, doesn't want to come forward, doesn't want to deal with it, or. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a huge aspect, um, but the others being like, you know, uh, what was I going to say? Um, organizations feeling like this person is somehow more valuable than not only the immediate sort of victims and... <laughs> their potential as communists or socialists, but the potential of every fucking other person who knows about this kind of stuff or knows that the fucking, that the shit happens and who will never fucking join you. You're, you're basically saying that your potential to be a communist or socialist or anarchist or whatever is like, does not matter. That saving this one fucking fucked up piece of shit who's probably repeatedly done things for years is more important than the rest of that. That whole fucking... And that's so... like It's just so fucking demeaning and insulting, like, on multiple visceral levels. Um, that That's just all kind of been coming to the surface. And why it's actually coming out and people are pushing back and kicking out members and groups are collapsing. Um, that's a larger conversation, but I, you can't ignore the fact that like, at least from, at least like cis women, there are so many more of them being educated. And I think feeling more confident and comfortable as independent, like semi autonomous actors, um, so I think that has a large, it's a large part of it, but there's more to it than that, certainly. Um, but yeah. Uh, do you, could you give a timeline on some of the organizations that have faced this crisis recently? Um, I mean, trying to remember like the first one that felt like it kind of kicked it off. Um... At least going back to like 2015, so at least about four years ago, if not prior to that, um, I remember, you know, hanging out with different people from different sort of like left groups, um, like 2013 or so, and hearing about like horrible dudes who were in different groups, Maoist groups, Stalinist groups, Trotsky, you know, and hearing about them and... But, you know, that was it. It was just, like, you pass information along. They say, well, don't say anything else. Or, like, so-and-so doesn't want people to talk about it. She's embarrassed. She's the blah, blah, blah. And, like, and you would just be fuming. You'd just be fucking fuming knowing if you went to a rally or something and this motherfucker's there getting all this attention. And you're like, you, you're a fucking rapist. Like, I should kill you. Or you beat your girlfriend. You should fucking die. And being like, oh, well, I can't say or do anything because the person doesn't want anyone to say anything. They, you know, they just want to brush it. They just don't. But at the same time, like, you know, people warn each other if they think they might you know, be vulnerable to that person. So it's a really powerless, horrible fucking thing to hold in 
when you know that this shit is happening and at the same time wanting to protect other people. So, yeah, I mean, that, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think it didn't really seem to start coming through till about 2015, maybe before then, maybe there was one before then. Um, so, yeah. You talked about the movement from being uh, bisexual to non-binary to more recently trans. Mm -hmm. And you referenced a sort of misunderstanding about what bisexual meant. I remember a (laughs) trans activist reading a pamphlet he had written in the early 2000s about the term bisexual being transphobic. Yeah. Um, And uh, that has, you know, come under some revision. What... What year in your life and where were you at when you started identifying as bisexual? What did that mean to you then? What does it mean now? What was the movement towards identifying as non-binary? And then tell me about becoming trans or identifying as trans. Uh, I mean, bisexual was just like... I mean, bisexual just meant that I was also attracted to... I was just attracted to pretty much I could I could potentially be attracted to just about any gender. That's what it meant to me. So what people use people use pansexual to mean that, but I mean that's not like a very historical take or, you know, on that term. Whether you look you're going back to Freud or you're going back to the sixties or whatever you're going back to, like it's just not accurate to say that you know, historically bisexual, it has meant anything about two, only two genders. It's, so for, to me, it, it, it meant, you know, mostly like attraction to sometimes to cis women, sometimes to trans women, sometimes to, um, yeah, it was also just more ex- exploring that side of things initially, um, and just learning to enjoy things. Because I had a really fucked up idea about, like, sex, too, that I've only still struggle with. Because, I I don't know, I just thought it was always about aggression and kind of, like, violence um, in different ways. And it was kind of, like, opening myself up to different forms of, like, intimacy that I had not really experienced much of. So, yeah. It was a whole fucking thing. (laughs) It was a whole thing. And, um... Yeah, so, um, what was the right, was this what's the question? So when did you start identifying as bisexual? Oh, so that was that was about four years ago, right? Yeah, about four years ago. Um, and I'd always rejected the term when I was younger because, not knowing any better, I thought that bisexual. Well, I thought first of all, bisexual was like not a real thing. It was not real, but you know, uh. <laughs> Cause one of my one of my good friends, one of my best friends, was like bisexual, but I, I, you know, he was always dating guys, right? So I was just like, oh, you know, you say you're bi, but you don't really like girls. You never date girls. Um, you know, I just thought it was. I was like, well, maybe some people are bisexual, but it must be very rare. <laughs> you know, because the idea was, you know, you you, got, you can only pick one team, really. That was. That's how I was raised. That was the I, that was the prevailing uh, ideology of the the eighties and nineties. So like you know, yeah, bisexuality was like you know 
uh, a mystical, magical, you know, thing that didn't exist. <laughs> and trans really didn't exist. So, um, yeah. It just always felt like something that you couldn't actually be. Like, yeah, I think girls are pretty or whatever. And I'll make out with them sometimes. But also there's, a, you know, the really exclusive idea that, like, t- the only way to be bisexual or to be at the time I thought of myself as a woman, you know, like, well, if I, if I date another woman, if I don't, if I'm not like all about pussy, if I don't love, like if pussy isn't my main like thing, then I can't be gay. And it's like, I don't know. It's just like a bunch of really crude, dumb things. But that was, that's, you hadn't, I had no real concept because everything that was gay to me was gay men. That was what I knew. Gay, that was the only gay life that I really had any proximity to. So, unless you were that, or unless you were like a butch dyke or whatever, like, that was like all there was. There wasn't really much in between that I knew of. So, everything that I am now is is kind of that in between that feels like, which is very happy and it feels very validating because like I always just, none of it fucking made sense to me and it's like, okay, now I can just kind of be this thing that sort of makes sense. All right, cool. It exists. It's a, it has a name. All right, I'll go with it. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, being a girl never fucking made sense. But I didn't feel like a guy particularly. I like clothes, I like makeup, you know. But I also had a lot of intense, intense, like, not just body hatred, like, my, like, meaning, like, my neck down, but, like, facial hatred. And just really, like, crazy stuff that I'm not prepared to talk about on the record. (laughs) But needless to say, um, some really bad, fucked up shit there, so... Coming out also just gave me a lot of power over that and to put it away and to be like, oh, I don't need this anymore. And it, and it kind of just stopped. Um, yeah. And then trans is like just very recent, like, couple, like within the last month or so. And mostly out of frustration because... <sighs> I'm pushed so much at my job and it's so, it can be so fucking stressful sometimes that I want to be the thing that they're scared of the most. <laughs> it, it really just pushes me and pushes all the contradictions that are in me. And it's like, well, fuck it. I'm trans. And besides, you know, like, like I was saying, like, be- because I am actually <coughs> changing my body somewhat intentionally through physical labor and because I do want um like some kind of top surgery or breast reduction or something um I don't I think that I'm part of that spectrum you know without stepping on too many toes without being like I'm taking the place of trans women or I'm trying to claim your oppression or something because that's also like you know a guilt thing that I think a lot of Queer people have, you know, they don't want (laughs) to, 
I don't know. It's probably like some Tumblr leftover where it's like <laughs> you can't call yourself this unless you use like it's like it's like true it's wow, it's like true scum almost. I don't know. Anyway. What's true scum? Oh, uh, you know, the idea that you can't be trans unless you've had dysphoria or have dysphoria, I guess. Um, more, I don't really know more about it than that. I try to stay away from those kinds of places <laughs> and discussions. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So. Uh. You've, um, you, you have, uh, you haven't talked a lot about your, uh, I guess, changing day-to-day life, like where you lived who you like how you spent your free time mm-hmm. sort of what can is there anything around along those lines that you want to share like if you had partners i don't know yeah uh i mean i had my first like healthy relationship last year like we're not together anymore we're like we're still friends which is fine but like yeah, it was, like, my first sort of normal, healthy, yeah, so that was good. So I do that kind of stuff occasionally. It's not, like, top of my list priority. Um, mostly I just, you know, I sleep too much now. I get fucking tired. It takes it out of me. Um, but if I have energy, I, I like to read a lot, have a couple books with me today. Um, mostly nonfiction, uh, and I like to be lazy. I love being lazy. Um, I love hanging out with my cats. I like playing with makeup. You know, I like going for long walks. You know, uh, yeah, I'm just seeing friends, having drinks, whatever, you know. It's pretty mundane. Like, I, I don't have some super... Or, you know, doing political work. Um, but, I don't know. Pretty boring, I guess, anymore these days. But, um, what are things that you're writing about and thinking about? Um, right now, I've got a couple things I might write on this summer I'm hoping to write on uh one has to do with abuse and the left um joint peace possibly um one other thing I've been thinking about is the importance of labor discipline as uh, a need for capital um and yeah, I haven't fully fleshed it out, but it has to do with the fact that, you know, any capital at any given time um, doesn't know what surplus value it might or can actually uh, generate or realize, especially realize because of all the uncertainties in the market. Um, so if it doesn't know it can realize it, it doesn't know what the average rate of profit will be that determines it, 
it doesn't actually know at any given time if it can if it's actually creating surplus value. So to some extent, I think, and I see this a lot in my work, um, it seems like the emphasis is almost more on just simply the psychological discipline of being a worker and making the worker through work. And almost like that is a more sometimes, to some extent, um, a, a more immediate concern uh, of the capitalist. Because at very least, even if you're a particular capital fails to realize a profit, um, you have generated a worker who can then go on and do more work for the capitalist class as a whole. So, I don't know. It's a whole thing that I kind of, it's kind of bubbling back in my head. I don't know if I'm going to do that one, but if I have time, maybe. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then I just got this Fred Moten book called The Undercommons, so I'm excited to read that, and I've just got lots of books stacked up, um, so I'm excited to have my schoolwork done, because, yeah, I'm an apprentice, so I have to do a bunch of bullshit for that, so, um, yeah, got stuff lined up, yeah. Was there anything else that you wanted to talk about today? Um, um you know, I just think it's funny. I, it just struck me like, I guess this is one of those, this is your life moments. It's like one of my favorite movies as a kid was Ghostbusters, right? Which is set in New York City. And, you know, the New York Public Library, the the one across the, just up the street, Fifth Avenue, like, scared the shit out of me. But at the same time, like, I kind of wanted to be a librarian. So, and then I actually went to library school, too. That's another thing in my life. Um, so now I'm sitting here talking about being gay as part of the New York Public Library. In New York City, and I don't know, I don't know, I feel like just something just came full circle, you know? I just need, like, Slimer to come in here and be like, yes, fucking, this is it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, it's wild, man. Uh, that, I don't know where that came from. See, this is what happens in therapy, you know? A couple hours in, you're, like, just talking about fucking getting slimed, and, like, I don't know which is... I don't know what that's supposed to mean, but... Why did you decide to do this interview? Well, because you kept bugging me. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I... You know, again, because I had a hard time using word trans for myself, I didn't really know if I fit it. I mean, yes, I know non-binary is kind of part of that spectrum no matter what but like I felt a little uncomfortable with that um the other thing is sometimes I like to self-negate too much and I don't like to talk about myself I do like to talk about myself but I don't like to talk about myself on record you know I don't like to to have like yeah I I don't like to be open in that particular way um but I, I, at the same time, I can distance from my critical thoughts, my self-critical thoughts, and say, well, I have had a weird kind of interesting 
life and I'm part of this and that experience matters. So sure, why not? I'll talk about it. So yeah, because then there's, yeah, that self-critical voice is just like, shut the fuck up. No one cares. Just shut up. (laughs) Like, um, you know, give it to someone more deserving. Just shut the fuck up. Well, I'm certainly grateful you, you know, showed the courage of doing this interview. So in, in closing, um, what, tell, tell us a little bit about your hopes for yourself in New York Um, future. Where, where are we headed? Well, my next, my next five year plan. Oh, oh, for, for myself in New York? Yeah. uh, Or New York in general. Um, Both. Um, I don't know, five years for myself, I want to have, like, no tits, full sleeve tattoos, a little more facial filler, and have read theories of surplus value. And hopefully we'll be, like, a little bit closer to not being in hell. I don't know. Uh, I keep waiting for another recession to hit and it's long overdue by my other estimations although i guess the bond yield inversion just happened in november so um yeah i don't know it could be completely complete hell in five years especially if because the u.s is on you know kind of thinking about going to fucking war with Iran right now and Venezuela and I don't know this is America final season it's really just like gonna be like Game of Thrones final season so it, that's yeah I mean watch that shit I don't watch that shit but you know yeah I hear it's really bad <laughs> so. well thank you Barnes. yeah